Well, we have two readings from God's Word this evening. The first can be found in Ezekiel chapter 34, and we shall be reading verses 11 to 16, verses which provide very helpful background for the second reading, John chapter 10, verses 1 to 30. Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning at verse 11, let us hear the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And then turning to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 30. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Well, my friends, I'd be glad if you would turn back to the New Testament reading in John chapter 10. I want to begin with a question, and the question is, is it safe to follow Jesus? And you may think that's a slightly odd question. John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, is perhaps one of the favorite passages of many Christian people and has been for a long time. So what's it got to do with whether it's safe to follow Jesus or not? Well, here's the thing. John chapter 10 is spoken, at least the first 21 verses are spoken, to people straight at the end of the story that's been told in John chapter 9. You you probably know that the chapter divisions were put into the Bible centuries after the Bible was written. They're not original. And at the beginning of John chapter 10, there's no marker of a new occasion, a new time, a new setting. It just carries straight on from John chapter 9. And so I want to read John chapter 10 in the context of that. John chapter 9 is the most wonderful chapter. It's worth reading uh, yourselves later. Uh, A man who's been born blind is given his sight in the most wonderful miracle 
uh, by Jesus of Nazareth. And then because Jesus has done this miracle on the Sabbath, a controversy erupts as so often in the Gospels. And um, people are very frightened. In chapter 9, verse 22, they ask the parents of this man who's been given his sight um, who it is who has healed him. And you discover that his parents are frightened because it's been decided by the Jewish leaders that anybody who says that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Messiah, will be put out of the synagogue, which effectively means more or less out of civilized society. And in chapter 9, verse 34, that's exactly what they do to the man himself, who bears courageous testimony to Jesus as the one who has healed him, and they cast him out. And so this man um, uh, gains his sight, but we might almost say he loses his citizenship. So the question, is it safe to follow Jesus, is a very live question for him. And chapter 10, verses 1 through to 21, are still the same occasion. Jesus is speaking to the the, the, the Pharisees to whom he's speaking at the end of chapter 9. He's still speaking to um, them. And indeed, in chapter 10, verse 21... People are still talking about the miracle. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So chapter 9, verse 1, right the way through to chapter 10, verse 21, are the same occasion. So what's Jesus doing speaking about being the good shepherd? And part of the answer must be that he's answering this question. Is it safe to follow me? Here is a man who's gained his sight but lost his citizenship. Is it safe or not? It's a a very real question. And Jesus answers it with spectacular authority and the most wonderful tenderness. And it may be that you're here this evening and you're a Christian who is, like many of us, prone to times of anxiety or fearfulness, as many of us are, and I certainly am. And there are times when it feels insecure, it feels unsafe, it feels dangerous to be following Jesus, and in a society that's moving further and further away from its Christian foundations, that can be so more and more. And of course, for many of our Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, that is abundantly true. Is it safe to follow Jesus? It's obviously a very important question. If you're here this evening and you're not as yet a real follower of Jesus, and you're so welcome, but one of the questions you might reasonably ask is, if I become a clear, definite follower, disciple of Jesus, will I be safe? Will the cost be too high to pay? And that's the question that Jesus is going to answer. Before we hear his answer, I want to say a little bit about the Old Testament background, because in John's Gospel, indeed in all the Gospels, there's a massive, great Old Testament background. And there's huge Old Testament background here. So in the, in the Bible lands of the, 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 the world, ancient world of the Bible lands, a king would often call himself the shepherd of his people, and it means the leader and protector. It's not a cuddly figure, but a strong figure who rules and guards. We get our word pastor from that image. Often a god would be called the shepherd of his people, the leader, the protector. And you find this theme quite a lot in the Old Testament, 
But here's a difference. In most societies, this shepherd language is used simply to bolster the authority of the king. So the king says, well, I'm, God is our shepherd, and I'm the shepherd, and I have the authority of God, so you jolly well better do what I tell you. Whereas when you read the Old Testament, you find that as well as God being the shepherd, many of the, the um, shepherd passages are actually undercutting the authority of the human shepherds. And Ezekiel chapter 34, where we had our first reading, is perhaps the strongest example of this. Jeremiah chapter 23 would be another example where this image is used not to bolster the authority of the human leaders, but precisely to undercut them as the prophets condemn them. And Ezekiel in chapter 34, just before the passage that we had read, um, vigorously denounces the leaders of the people as being bad prophets. And then God says in the passage that we had, uh, these leaders of my people are so bad that I, I myself, God, I will come in person and I will be their shepherd. And I will guard them and lead them and protect them and bring them to pastures and do everything that a good shepherd should do. I'm going to come and do that. And for five or six hundred years, this prophecy sort of hung in the air. Here is this word that says that God himself is going to come in person to be the shepherd, the leader, the ruler, the protector of his sheep. And when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's not simply saying, you read John chapter 9, And you'll see what rubbish shepherds these Pharisees are. You'll see how they treated this man and they cast him out. Um, I'm I'm a lot better than them, so you might do better to follow me. He's saying that, but actually he's saying far more than that. And as, as we've seen in these other John's Gospel passages, the emphatic words, we saw it particularly last week, I am, uh, are a conscious and deliberate echo of the covenant name of God right back early in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3. I am who I am. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, last week we had, I am the good shepherd, it's at least a hint of a claim to being God come in person. And so when he says, I am the good shepherd, implicitly he's saying, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. And if you doubt that, the um, uh, Jewish leaders and the Jewish people who were listening understood it perfectly. And the verse immediately following the reading we had, we finished at verse 30, in verse 31 they pick up stones to stone him for blasphemy, and they understand perfectly what he means. It's a stupendous claim. And as we follow some of the things through that Jesus said, I want to to pick on three of the most important themes, if um, I may. If you want words to hang them on, the words would be know, that is K-N-O-W, the shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know him. Die, the shepherd dies for the sheep. And keep, the shepherd keeps the sheep. And the first two of these are like um, interwoven strands of colored thread through uh, the first section from verse 1 
through to, well, certainly verse um, 15. So you, 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 Jesus begins on this imagery of the, the, the shepherd, and he, he conjures up this picture of a sheepfold, and some who climb in by um, illegitimate ways, in verse 1, thieves and robbers, and others who come in by the door, the legitimate shepherd of the sheep. And he says, the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And he's brought them out, he goes before them, and they follow him. They know his voice. I came across a lovely description of um, something somebody saw in Bethlehem in 1935. And apparently they were watching. It was a cave where evidently, I think, two shepherds had kept their sheep all mixed up overnight. And this observer, he saw one of the shepherds come out of the cave in the morning and begin calling. And as this shepherd called one sheep and then another and then four or five, and eventually all the sheep of his flock came out, leaving the sheep from the other ones. So it's a familiar sort of picture. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd knows them and leads them. And Jesus takes that sort of picture. I call them by name. As God called Abram by name and renamed him Abraham, as God called Jacob by name and renamed him Israel. And you see this as Jesus does this in the Gospels. You are Simon, he says. He calls him by name to follow him, and then he renames him Peter, the rocky one. And uh, in the next chapter of John's Gospel, he stands at the tomb of Lazarus, and he calls him by name, Lazarus, come out. And as somebody has nicely commented, why did he need to say Lazarus come out? Because if he just said come out, all the dead would have come out of the tombs. (laughs) But he calls him by name. And most movingly, at the end of the gospel, in chapter 20, after the resurrection, Mary Magdalene does not recognize the risen Jesus by sight until he calls her by name, Mary. And she recognizes his voice. And she bows in worship before him. And the day when Jesus calls you by name is the day you begin to follow him. He knows you by name. We'll come back to that theme in a moment. But then from verse about verse 8, he begins to develop a different picture. So if the first picture was of, of, of sheep and a sheepfold and people breaking in and other people, the real shepherd coming and calling them out... Now there's a picture of um, a fierce attack from a wolf or a pack of wolves. So you see verse 8, those who came before me, illegitimate shepherds, particularly these Pharisees perhaps, they're thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the door, if anyone comes in by me, he'll be saved, we'll go in and out, find pasture. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then Jesus tells this, uses this picture. Someone who's a hired hand, he's just paid wages to be an assistant shepherd. He's a salaried shepherd, if you like. And the wolves come, and the salaried shepherd runs for his life. He said, I'm in this for the money. I'm not in this to love and protect the sheep and guard them. But the shepherd, the true shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. 
Now, of course, this is where the picture language breaks down. If the wolf kills an actual shepherd, the shepherd can't protect the sheep anymore, and that's the end of the story. The wolf gets the shepherd, and the wolf gets the sheep. Unless, and this is the, this is the fulfillment of this that the New Testament gives us, unless by his death the shepherd destroys the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, as Hebrews tells us in chapter 2, unless by his death he triumphs over all the powers of evil at the cross in Colossians chapter 2, unless by his death, by paying the penalty and enduring the wrath, the righteous anger of God against sinners, unless by doing that he draws the sting of death and removes the power of evil and by that protects the sheep and that's exactly what he does so that every Christian can say with the Apostle Paul that Jesus is the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He called me by name. He died for me by name. We remember this in the Lord's Supper. And it's a wonderful thing. This is is the reason why Jesus is the good shepherd. No other religion or philosophy has a leader or a God who dies for the sheep to pay the penalty for their sins, to rescue them from all the powers of evil. You can look all through the world, different faiths, different philosophies, and you will find nothing to rival this. Nothing. Nowhere. I'm the good shepherd who dies for the sheep. But then he goes on in verse 14. He comes back to the first theme of knowing I'm the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. And then he goes on, verse 15, to say something extraordinary. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Just as I, the Son, know the Father, and the Father knows me in the intimacy and the perfect knowledge of the Holy Trinity, in the same way I know the sheep, and the sheep know me. It's extraordinary thought that if you belong to Jesus... He knows your name. But of course, knowing your name, we use knowing your name in a rather, I mean, it's not many weeks since Carolyn and I have begun making this our home, and we're trying hard to learn names. So we go through the church address list trying to revise names on a Sunday, and sometimes you win and sometimes you don't if you've tried that. But even if I remember your name and you remember my name, it doesn't mean we know very much about each other. But when Jesus says, I know, I call them by name, he means something much, much deeper. Jesus knows your history. He knows everything that has ever happened to you. He heard each word that anyone said to you. He knows your hopes. He knows your fears. He knows your anxieties. He knows your joys. He counts your tears. He knows what kept you awake last night. He knows your future. He knows you with perfect personal love. And this is the most wonderful thing. But Jesus also says that his sheep know him. They know his voice. Like those sheep at the beginning in that, that story in 1935. They know the shepherd's voice. So what's going on there? He says they're not going to follow a stranger, a false teacher. Somehow they're going to know, they're going to realize that this False teacher, this false shepherd, is a thief or a robber or a wolf. Um, And later in John's Gospel, Jesus speaks of God the Holy Spirit, whom he and the Father will send to dwell, 
as the personal presence of God in the life and heart of the believer. And in John's first letter, 1 John in chapter 2, twice he talks about Christian people as having what he calls the anointing, the Christing, which is a way of speaking about having the spirit of Christ within us. And by having that anointing, John says, you'll, you'll know that this is wrong. And that's right. If I can just perhaps share one little story. I remember as a very young Christian going to the Christian Union in the university here as an undergraduate. And each Saturday evening, about 600 of us would gather in the Union debating chamber to hear a Bible exposition. And most of them were excellent. I learned so much. I wasn't very well taught. I hadn't learned very much. And I learned so much from uh, a number of excellent preachers and speakers. But I can remember one Saturday... And there was something about the teaching that just didn't quite smell right. I didn't know very much. I couldn't have told you what was wrong. But I, it just sort of, I thought there's something here that doesn't sit with what I know of my reading of the Bible. And, and I discovered later that I was right, that the, 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 the speaker that evening um, was, uh, as people sometimes say, on a journey, moving away from Bible truth. How did I know that? Not because I was clever, not because I was particularly well educated in the Bible at that, at that stage of my life. But I take it that that was something about Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice. They recognize there's something in God's provision for his sheep, which means that the sheep will steer clear and run away from something which is wrong. So there are the first two themes. No, I know my sheep, my sheep know me die, I die, I give them life by my death. And I've needed to hear that again this week, and I guess I'm not alone. I've had some knocks, some discouragements, some weariness, some troubles, and I'm sure that that there'd be plenty of others of us here who would say the same. But I belong to the Good Shepherd who knows me, and I know him, and I belong to the Good Shepherd who died to save me from evil, and nothing can change that. But I want to draw out one final theme. Although chapter, two verse, chapter 10, verse 22, signals a new scene, the Feast of Dedication, what um, Jews called Hanukkah, the, the Feast of the Rededication of the Temple in the 2nd century BC after it had been defiled. It's a new um, context, and it's, it's winter. It's that, that festival is in the middle of winter. But Jesus continued to, to speak about the same general subject, and he comes back to this shepherding theme. And I want to focus just on verses 28, 29, and 30 before I finish. Uh, He said a number of things um, before that. There's all sorts of other wonderful things in this chapter, but I want just to focus on this one, which you can put under the heading, keep. I, he says, I give them eternal life. I, the shepherd, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Earlier he's talked about a wolf coming to snatch the sheep in chapter 10 verse 12. Now he says, I have my sheep in my hand, no one can snatch them out of my hand. They will never perish, I will keep them. And then he goes on to something even more extraordinary, verse 29. He says, my father, who has given them to me, 
And Jesus has said something very similar back in chapter 6 of John's Gospel. The Father has given, if you belong to Jesus, the Father gave you by name to Jesus in eternity and gave you by name to Jesus in time in his life on earth. The Father gave you, the Father who's given them to me, My Father is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Personally distinct, the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Son, but one in the fullness of deity. So the Son is not a part of the Father, the Father is not a, sorry, is not a part of the, of God, the Son is not a part of God, the Son is fully God, the Father is fully God. And the Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit are one in the perfection of the Godhead. So it's a staggering claim for Jesus to make, and it's unsurprising that they should want to stone him in the next verse for blasphemy. But the thing is that for the Christian disciple, if this is true, it gives the most wonderful assurance. If you belong to Jesus, God the Father... And God the Son holds you, you individually, you by name, you from eternity to eternity, you through all the changing scenes of life in their hand. And no power in earth or over the earth or under the earth or in the heavens, no power, natural or supernatural, can snatch you from their hand. You are as safe as the triune God is strong. You know, if you um, take a, a child, in my case it would be a grandchild, but for you it might be a son or a daughter or a nephew or a niece or a friend's child, you take them across a road and you say to the child, we've all done this, um, now Petronella or whatever the child's name is, um, hold my hand. But you don't mean hold my hand. What you mean is I'm going to hold you round the wrist. That's what you mean, isn't it? You don't mean hold my hand and hold on because if you let go you're going to be in danger. You mean I'm going to hold on to you. And if you trip up or try to run away, I will physically lift you up and get you to the other side of the road. Every parent knows that. And most parents have had to do that. And Jesus says something similar. He's saying your safety does not ultimately depend on your perseverance or your faith or your goodness, or your common sense in holding on to me, I'm going to keep you. No one can snatch you out of my hand. Sometimes we call this the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that every true saint, every true believer will persevere to the end through all the ups and downs and the twos and toings and froings and ins and outs and difficulties of life will persevere to the end. But it's it's also the doctrine of the perseverance of the Saviour who perseveres with us to the end and the promise of the Saviour who has promised no one can snatch them out of my hand and they will never perish and the patience of the Saviour who will never let you go. And this truth about Jesus became a very precious truth In the New Testament, in Peter's first letter, he calls Jesus, in chapter 2, the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In chapter 5, he calls him the chief shepherd. The writer to the Hebrews, at the end of his letter, calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. And in the book of Revelation, at the very end of the Bible, in chapter 7, we meet some people who've come through the great tribulation. And the writer, John, says of them, 
They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Why? Because the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Is it safe to follow Jesus? It's a really good question. If you're not as yet a Christian, I want to encourage you to count the cost. The the man in chapter 9, his parents were frightened of being put out of the synagogue. In chapter 12, John tells us that there were some important Jewish leaders who privately believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they were frightened of being put out of the synagogue, and they were so scared they didn't dare say anything. And in chapter 16 of John's Gospel, Jesus warns his followers in every age, they will put you out of the synagogue. So just count the cost. You must expect, if you're a believer in Christ, that there will be times when you are excluded and sometimes perhaps vilified or no platformed or perhaps much worse than that. Is it safe to follow Jesus? Well, in one sense, it's very dangerous and very foolish. But remember chapter 10. You follow Jesus, you find yourself in the hands of the shepherd who has known you from all eternity and whom the Father has, has, the Father has given you to the shepherd in eternity. And the shepherd knows you through and through. He knows everything about you. And by his grace, you know him. And he has died for you to pay the penalty for your sins. And he will keep you to the end. I've needed that this week. And Jesus has said afresh to me, I know you. I call you by name. I loved you. I died for you. No power on earth or in heaven can snatch you out of my hand. Is it safe to follow Jesus? It could not be safer, whatever the dangers. Let's be quiet for a moment and I'll pray. God, our Father, we thank you. For Jesus, our good shepherd, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came as God in person to be the good shepherd of your sheep. And we pray that many others might know, as so many of us do, the assurance of belonging to you. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.